Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Nothing personal. Word of the day for 3.14159265359-2022 is I'm back, as in Tom Brady. All right, we got a lot to unpack. Hope everyone had a good weekend. It's a packed show. We had to edit out like half the topics. We'll try to get to some of them later in the week. But we're going to start with the fact that it's March 14th. And do you know what pie is? It is the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. Got it? Yeah, me neither. March 14th. Everything's going fine yesterday. MLB, there's some signings, there's some trades we're going to get to. NCAA, March Madness. They're picking the brackets. They're unveiling the brackets. Everybody's excited. Pins and needles. Where am I going to play? Am I in? Am I out? Am I bubbled? Am I not? CBS is ecstatic. So much excitement. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I look at my phone and it's Coca. So when Coca calls me on a weekend, either he needs help or something major has happened. So I pick up the phone and he says, Brady's back. And I said, back where? Like, did he go on a trip? I know he was in England watching Man U play. Maybe he's back. Maybe that was newsworthy, but maybe Coca just wanted to tell someone that. Then he said, no, no, he's playing for the Buccaneers again. And I just, with an incredulous look and thought, said, no, he's not. Even he wouldn't do this. But I was wrong. Tom Brady has announced that he will be playing again for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I got a few questions. So let me start with a simple one. When you retire, when you say you're going to retire, is it your responsibility to stay retired for a season? for a week, for a month, for a year? What do you owe the fans? Nothing. What do you owe your organization? Something. But when you're Tom Brady, it's a different equation. People make their franchises around Tom Brady's decision. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers make decisions on who they're going to sign, who they're not going to sign. Are they rebuilding? Are they not rebuilding? Coaches make a decision. Are they going to stay? Are they going to go? People buying season tickets make a decision. Are they buying? Are they not buying according to whether or not the Buccaneers, are they in? Are they out? People buy memorabilia based on retirement. Somebody spent over $500,000 buying the last Football, the last touchdown pass that he threw, $518,000 the day before Tom Brady unretired. What kind of person does that? Do you think he called that guy and said, hey, man, I'm so sorry. 
because your ball's now worthless? Nah. Do you think he'll give him half a million bucks to say, hey, how about if you just lose 18 grand and I'll take the ball back and I'll give you half a million? Nah, not going to do it. Players don't really care, nor should they, when there's a market that they don't get to participate in with something they've done or created. You know my Ken Griffey 600th home run ball that Griffey was not willing to spend money on? Players are just like with their uniforms, They'll give them to charity. They're not going to sell you their uniforms. And if someone buys their uniform, they're not going to all of a sudden feel a responsibility to change the number, not change the number, change teams. Players don't think that way. So Tom Brady isn't giving that any thought. What was Tom Brady thinking when he retired? Was he angry that it got leaked before he was able to control the narrative? Was he upset that his retirement letter got criticized because he didn't thank the New England Patriots? Did he think that spending time with his family would be different than it actually was? Did he feel the addiction to be ready for training camp and to have an off-season program and when he was allowed to relax or not participate in any of the off-season activities, when he was allowed to have a Krispy Kreme Did he all of a sudden say, nah, I don't feel strong physically or mentally. I need something. I need to go after something. Did two months away from the game say to him, I want to retire after winning a Super Bowl? And did his ego and his brain write a check that he will not be able to cash physically? Does he believe he's still in a position to be a top two quarterback? Was he jealous that Aaron Rodgers was coming back? Was he upset that Deshaun Watson was being approached by the Buccaneers as a possible trade partner? We didn't hear much from Tom Brady except my place is on a football field. Well, that's true, and I've been around a bunch of aging players who say the same thing. They can't figure out what to do. It happens with executives, too. I told you it happened to me. It took me two years to unwind after leaving Major League Baseball. Two years to find a new place a new sense of purpose, it does not happen overnight. So I was wondering whether Tom Brady himself and his family did not give retirement enough of a chance. And then I started thinking one layer deeper. Tom Brady's with the Glazers watching Man U play. Tom Brady has tremendous business desires. He said after he retired that he was going to concentrate and focus on building an empire, and I am paraphrasing, but he wants to inv- He wants to be better than A-Rod. He wants to invest in businesses, wants to own things. I wonder whether he had a conversation with Glazer, and Glazer said, you know what? Why don't you play another year? Not leak what you're going to do. Not do an entire retirement song and dance. You don't have to do the tour, but just know in your mind that you're coming back and that then you're retiring for good. And then, what about joining the way LeBron owns part of Fenway Sports Group, which owns a bunch of different teams? How would you feel about coming into ownership? Maybe of the Buccaneers? Maybe of Man U? Start your post-playing career. Segwaying into a spot in the front office or just 
in the room where it happens with owners. And I will cut you a deal right now on the price of entry into an equity position, but I'm going to need one more year out of you. Do you think that is so far-fetched? Why is it that the general manager of the Buccaneers said in his statement that the coach Bruce Arians and the GM Jason Licht had had plenty of conversations with Tom recently that led us to believe there was a chance, a realistic chance that he would want to come back? Bunch of players do that, right? Bunch of players, when they retire, they question whether or not they made the right decision. But nobody I know gives it two months. Even Roger Clemens, when he retired in 2003, after the World Series lost to the Marlins, and then he unretired, I thought, Coke and I may be wrong here. Damn it, that whole point is going to be wasted if, if actually he um, only retired for like two weeks. Unless he retired for longer, like a whole off season, I have no recollection. But frankly, you're busy doing other stuff and it doesn't much matter. So we can just cut that out of the show. Okay. So cut the Clements part out. 4 8 When Tom Brady decided to retire, how quickly did he decide to unretire? Was it a conversation with Giselle? Was it a conversation with his kids? People are making fun of him on Twitter. They're all over social media saying, hey, I looked at what it was like to be around the family and said, ah, you know what? I'll play again. But that's not what happened here. I think that as we go forward, you are going to see very clearly that Tom Brady's post-playing career came into focus on this trip to England. It's hard to make that a wait to see. We've got a wait to see later in the show. But that said, you should wait and see not to see and see what Brady's going to do now that he retires and whether or not he will form a more permanent bond with the Glazer family. That is where I think this goes. As far as his ability to win, the odds went crazy. Now, the odds to win the NFC Championship went from 10 to 1 to 5 to 1 for the Bucs. Everybody bet the Bucs when he came back, thinking, hey, there's a great arbitrage here. We have an opportunity Tom Brady's going to play at 45 years old. Now, Tom Brady, according to Bruce Arians, did have an MVP-like season. He did. Not again. Okay. So, football, I think we've learned this. I always thought the quarterback was a critical position, but that a good defense can win a Super Bowl. I thought when the Broncos won the Super Bowl that their defense was so superior. Obviously, they had Peyton Manning, but if you look back on that year, I'm not sure that Peyton Manning was the Hall of Fame Peyton Manning that year. The Giants, which is my team, had that defense with Lawrence Taylor and Harry Carson, Leonard Marshall. Now, don't get me wrong, Phil Simms is, was great, Jeff Hostetler, but I thought the defense was there. But it seems that teams, when they're putting their roster together, believe that quarterback is the linchpin for success. So Matthew Stafford wins a Super Bowl, and now we're up to Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, one of the top quarterbacks, was a healthy scratch last year. Stop spreading rumors that he was suspended last year. He was not. He was a healthy scratch the whole year. He got paid his entire salary. Didn't lose a dollar. Deshaun Watson has been under criminal investigation for months. And this weekend, the grand jury heard on Friday, they heard the testimony, they heard the evidence, 
and they did not put forward an indictment. There is great confusion what that means. So let me be clear. When you are not indicted by a grand jury, that in no way absolves you from liability. It absolves you from criminal liability, but not civil liability. So Deshaun Watson's agent and lawyer took the opportunity to celebrate this finding. Rusty Harden, his lawyer, said, we are delighted that the grand jury has looked at the matter thoroughly and reached the same conclusion we did. Deshaun Watson did not commit any crimes and is not guilty of any offenses. Couple things there, I tweeted about it, but I wanna make sure that this larger NPDS audience, if you don't follow me on Twitter, please do. But sometimes I repeat things because it's worth repeating. Why are you delighted? It's the worst adjective choice to use in a statement when you are announcing the fact that you did not get indicted. You can say, we are pleased, we are thankful, we appreciate that the grand jury took the time to review the evidence and came to the same conclusion that we have always known. But delighted? What's delightful about your situation, Deshaun? The 22 civil cases? The fact is that there is a very difficult burden. And when you're a grand jury, you are deciding what is the likelihood? Should we indict? Should we not indict? Should we ask for an indictment? When the DA asks for an indictment, they want to win. Is there a way to prove? Is it he said, she said? He said, they said? They all say, we say? I was not shocked by this result. What I was shocked by was the after where teams are jumping all over each other to acquire Deshaun Watson. People have asked this weekend, would you take Deshaun Watson? My answer is it depends. Now, I'm not asking to ride the fence here because I have no interest in having a fence spoke up my tushy. However, you know I never ride the fence. I would like to know in advance, what are we looking at? The Roethlisberger six games brought down to four? Are we looking at eight games? Are we looking at time served, even though there's been no time served? What are we giving up? And what is the opportunity we have this year to maximize Watson and his presence on my team? Two, what does it mean to not play for a year, I would ask my football people. Is it, does it extend his career by a year? Is his prime expanded and extended by this year because his body didn't take hits? Or is rust a factor? How many games will it take to get him back into quote unquote game shape? But then I thought to myself, is there a moral dilemma? As president of a team, there is no moral dilemma. As a former president of a team who can look back on the way he was while president of a team, it is shocking that I would have dismissed this so quickly because of his greatness. And for any mediocre to poor player, it would have been an immediate release. We've talked about domestic violence on this show. We've talked about all sorts of actions that players take and ways the teams look the other way, aid and abet in the behavior of certain players. 
Head in the sand is something that we practiced on a daily basis. It's the opposite of Homeland Secretary Jay Johnson. If you say see something, say something. We all run teams. If you don't say something, then we didn't see anything. It's become a little harder with social media, I'll grant you. But you'd be shocked at executives' willingness to turn the other cheek, to look the other way. You have a chance to bring in Deshaun Watson in a quarterback league where you need a quarterback to win, and teams are going to jump all over each other. We've read the Panthers under David Tepper, the Saints under Gail Benson. That would be ironic, by the way, if Gail Benson trades for Deshaun Watson, just between us. Total right-wing loon. And I'm not telling you if I'm left-wing or right-wing. I'm more central. But we know Gail Benson and her propensity to try to be helpful with the pedophiles in the church. What would she think about a guy who asked for a little rub and tug in a massage parlor or from a traveling masseuse? Eh, we'll take him. All right. Deshaun Watson is going to get traded because there's now competition to get him. Ironically, the one team that was willing to get him while he was still under criminal indictment, the Dolphins, are now out because they hired McDaniel and they doubled down on Tua. Love it. No shortage of trade partners for Deshaun Watson. But he's not going to prison. Okay. Do you know what time it is? It's Brady time. Do you know what else it is? It's bracket time, baby. It's March Pie Day. That means it's March Madness. And just like the return of Tom Brady, the Nothing Personal with David Sampson Bracket Challenge is back. Do you remember that last year when you went to cbssports.com slash NPDS brackets? Well, guess what the winner gets? CBS went out of its mind with prizes this year. They had a meeting, top-level meeting. They weren't worried about Nora. They were not focused on anything going on except what was going to be the prize to win the bracket pool of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Here's what they came up with. A $100 gift card for Paramount Plus. Holy crap, Coca. They're going to line up to play this bracket pool. A 100 bucks that can be used to get Paramount Plus? I don't even think we need to advertise. I mean, that just, come on. Like last year, folks, take that $100 gift card to Paramount Plus and shove it up your keister because we're upping the ante. Coke is going to do it. I'm going to do it. Anyone who beats Coca will be entered into a raffle to win a much bigger prize that will come directly from me. And if you win the entire thing, in addition to getting Paramount Plus for 10 months or whatever the price is, and yes, I do have Paramount Plus because I watch a bunch of things on Paramount Plus, but a $100 gift card, GMAB. If you win the entire MPDS bracket, we'll give you something. Go over right now. Last year, what do we have, Coca, last year? 471 brackets or something? There's no way we're going to have that few. So get there. CBSSports.com slash NPDS brackets. Fill it out. The tournament starts on Coca Thursday. All right, we come back. We are going to talk about William Hurt 
and we're going to give you an update with MLB. We have an MLB lockout update after the break. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? Hope you had a good weekend. Today is Pi Day. Please follow us, rate, review, put a review down on Apple, like write a review if you don't mind. And then on Spotify, you can subscribe. And on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Tell your friends. We have fun 45 minutes every single day talking about things that other people aren't talking about. And if they are, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Nah, some people do. Nah, we have more fun. All right, I watch a movie every day. I have had mortality issues. You know that. I am scared of dying. I don't like the idea of permanence. I don't like the idea of being in one place forever. Now, as I am getting older, I'm still in the fifth inning here at 54 years old, right? I'm just starting. I'm just teeing off, baby. Adam Sandler, click reference alert. But now the people who I grew up watching and loving are getting older. They're a generation ahead of me, and they are beginning to pass away. When I got the news yesterday that William Hurt died at 71 years old, it impacted me in a very bizarre way. A couple of math equations I did immediately is that I am 17 years away from being 71. 17 years ago was 2005, the year we signed Carlos Delgado out lighter and tried to win a second World Series in three years and a third World Series for the franchise of the Marlins. To me, 2005 seems like yesterday, which means 2039 is tomorrow, which means I'm almost 71. Now, for any relatives or friends who are watching, I'm not, don't get worried. I feel great. I'm running a lot, eating healthy at least six meals a week. But 71 is like tomorrow. William Hurt passed away from natural causes. I don't know what that means to be naturally dead at 71. It seems way too young. Coca sent me an article that I had forgotten about. William Hurt was in a movie called Children of a Lesser God, working alongside Marley Matlin, who was in The West Wing, who's in this year's best movie in my mind, Coda. She was a young Oscar winner dating William Hurt, meeting on the set, shocking. They got together. Marley Matlin then went public that he was emotionally and physically abusive to her. William Hurt's career continued. And I have been torn because 
William Hurt has been in three of my absolute favorite movies. One is called The Big Chill, best soundtrack of any movie ever. Children of a Lesser God, aforementioned. And of course, Broadcast News with Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks. So what's the legacy of someone? We're going to be dealing a lot with that with sports heroes and steroids and people, Harvey Weinstein, sexual predators, those who've been accused but not convicted, those who have been accused but not proven to have committed the crimes. What do you do about legacy? So here's where I came out. It's the same place I came out with Jose Fernandez when he died at you have to tell the story of his death, but you've got to tell the story of his life. I feel the same about everybody. Woody Allen, you have to tell the story of his life and you have to include in that the brilliance of his career and the absolute fall from grace that he had. Don't you? When you're thinking about somebody's life, don't you look at the totality? Or can one action you do or multiple actions over a period of decades, does that become the single thing you're known for? Well, I don't know anything else about Jeffrey Dahmer except he ate people. I didn't know anything else before watching some Oliver Stone movies that Lee Harvey Oswald did anything other than maybe kill JFK. I can't imagine Ted Bundy had any redeeming qualities, but maybe he did. What a ridiculous tug of war inside my head where I'm going to make a judgment that there are certain people who should only be known at their worst moment. Now, please don't misunderstand. There is a Grand Canyon of difference between a serial killer and someone who commits sexual and emotional physical abuse, just as there are a Grand Canyon between committing that type of abuse and someone who lives a life of love and compassion and care. Find me one person who lived 71 years who didn't have a moment or a day or a week or a month or a year or a relationship something in business, something in life, something in family, that they look back and say, wow, who was that? Rex Chapman is one of the great reclamation stories we're going to get tomorrow. We're going to talk a lot more about this. I finished Dope Sick and started it this weekend. And I was thinking about Rex Chapman and what he's known for and how brilliant he is on Twitter, how he overcame his addiction but is his story now only about what he is today? Or do you, when you talk to him, do you talk about what he was yesterday? We'll dive into that tomorrow. But for William Hurt, I say rest in peace. I will talk about your movies, your talent, my love for your talent. But I will also talk about the fact that you were accused of acting inappropriately and I hope that everyone, when they look at a life that's lived, please 
for me, for my legacy, for everybody's legacy out there, whether your platform is one person or a million, the word is totality. Okay, Coca, I want to talk MLB now. MLB lockout update. We had these throughout from December 2nd until last week. We did lockout updates. Sometimes we sat silent for 6.9 seconds. Sometimes we gave you an update. There's been a proposal, a counter proposal. Then the lockout ended and everyone said, boom, it's going to be epic. Everyone is going to start signing. There's going to be trades. It's going to be absolute insanity. Then you got word of this signing, that signing. But the top free agents have not signed, who were unsigned when the lockout began. There have been a few interesting bullpen signings, some bench player signings, a few trades. But the major, major deals have not happened yet. And here's why. When you are putting your roster together during the lockout, which is what GMs were doing with their team presidents and owners, You are trying to decide what your payroll is going to be if there's a full season. You're doing a computation for what your payroll can be if you're only playing 140 games but paying for 162. You're doing a payroll for if you're only playing 140 games and paying players for 140 games. You're doing a payroll at a CBT level of 220, 225, 230. You're doing calculations if you're a revenue sharing recipient, how much your revenue sharing is going to be. You are trying to put it all together, but you don't know the final puzzle until the CBA has been agreed to. The CBA gets signed, ratified, and then the finance departments and the administrators in the baseball department, they get together, they speak to the owner, they come up with a payroll based on actual budget, actual revenue, actual expenses or what they budget those expenses to be. The owner in Philadelphia, in Boston, in New York, in other cities, Cubs, where they are willing and may go right up to the CBT level, you got to get word from the owner, are you going to 230 or 229 and a half? Where do we need to end up at the end of the year versus the beginning of the year? How much money are we putting aside for trade deadline acquisitions versus 40-man roster today? So you wonder why these players haven't been signed, and the answer is it's starting now. There's no rush. Spring training has begun. Drills have begun. The first game of spring training is Friday. But that still does not inform a GM and president when it's time to give into agents. There is no rush. Agents had the feeling that there'd be a lot more activity, that there'd be a lot more teams bidding against each other in order to get these big free agents done. There were rumors immediately that Freddie Freeman was going to be signed, going to LA within 24 hours, be on alert, staying with the Braves within 24 hours, be on alert. Well, I sat in the glove chair Blazer on, shirt on. Freddie Freeman hasn't made a choice. He made today. He made tomorrow. He's in no rush. Does he want to wait out the Braves giving him his sixth year? Or does he want to move his family home to Los Angeles? Or will the Yankees step up and say, oh my God, we need a lefty hitter. We did a whole season one year where we had no lefties in the lineup. And we said that we've got righties who hit lefties well. 
because we wanted to convince ourselves that we were going to be okay. Are the Yankees doing the same thing? Well, they made a trade yesterday that has gotten quite a bit of attention. The deal that was cut in baseball, I have told you once, I'll tell you again, was a bad deal for small market teams. Low revenue teams. People on Twitter were fighting this weekend and it was making me crazy. I refer to teams as low revenue and high revenue. Miami is a large market, but a low revenue team. There are teams in smaller markets that have higher revenues than we did. They're mid-revenue teams. It's not like football where Green Bay can be a high-revenue team just like Dallas. It's a totally different sport, a totally different set of calculations, a set of financial realities. A total amount of revenue in football comes from national TV deals. There are no local TV deals which create revenue disparity. In baseball, it's all local TV deals, plus you split the national TV deal, which is a smaller piece of the pie than the local TV deal, totally different than football. And the disparity between the Yankees and the Marlins is large enough that it will create a forever payroll disparity regardless of the size of the market. Therefore, you've got low revenue, high revenue. Low revenue teams have smaller windows to compete. Low revenue teams have to have smarter front offices to know when it's time to rebuild, when it's time to tank, regardless of the draft lottery and everything else that was put into the collective bargaining agreement. None of that is going to stop teams from tanking and rebuilding when they have to. Smart offices of low-revenue teams cannot afford mistakes. And if they do make mistakes, they know that they're going to have to attach prospects to get another team to take care of their mistakes. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox are really good at taking small-revenue teams, low-revenue teams, and taking their mistakes. Am I calling Josh Donaldson and the Minnesota Twins and the four-year deal he signed with the Twins a mistake? You Bet your bippy I am. How many of you were so thrilled in Minnesota when Donaldson signed his four-year deal? Two years later, he's traded. Does that make Minnesota, the poll ads, bad owners? They were great owners when they signed Donaldson. Are they bad when they traded him? I would argue they're better now having traded him than they were when they signed him. They found a taker for Josh Donaldson and the $48 million left on his contract. And they had to give up a catching prospect in order to get the deal done. They had to take on some bad money from the Yankees to get the deal done. The Yankees finally traded their not starting catcher, Gary Sanchez, who was due to make $7.5 million from the Yankees this year. He can't play defense. He hits 204. Garrett Cole doesn't want him to catch. Garrett Cole wants Gary Sanchez out of New York so badly, he was willing to let Josh Donaldson come to the Yankees, who was so critical of Garrett Cole and his foreign spider tax substances that Garrett Cole was using. Did Brian Cashman call up Garrett Cole and say, hey, do you mind if we trade for Josh Donaldson? Horse hockey. The only player I've ever given that courtesy to is Giancarlo Stanton, and that's only because he got hit in the face by a pitch. And we gave him the courtesy of asking whether or not he would be okay if we acquired Mike Fires. He said, no, we moved on. 
The fact that there are players who've had beefs with other players, fights with other players, brawls, hit them with a pitch, back and forth on Twitter when you're a GM of a team, you could care less about that. You're not giving Garrett Cole that kind of power. You give it to Cole, you're going to have to give it to quite a few other Yankees. So Josh Donaldson goes to the Yankees. Gary Sanchez goes back one year, $7.5 million, arbitration eligible. The Twins will either trade him or non-tender him at the end of the year or trade him sooner if they can. Maybe they'll let him catch for him. What about the shortstop that went to the Yankees? A guy named Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Great defensive shortstop that you've never heard of. Was just traded by Texas to Minnesota two days before they traded him, something like that, from Minnesota to the Yankees. Everybody's saying, wait a minute, are we still going to get Correa? You were never getting Correa. Think about the Yankees' payroll. Let's pretend they go to $230 million. Now let's say Stanton makes 30. Let's say Cole makes 30. Let's say Aaron Judge makes 30 when he's a free agent. 30, 60, 90. Let's say Correa makes 30. 30, 60, 90, 120. Oh my God. That's 120 million for four players. That only leaves 110 million for the other two 22 players. If you're the Marlins or the Rays or the Guardians or the Pirates or the Reds, you say, I can do that. Anything you can do, I can do better. But when you're the Yankees, you cannot have four $30 million players and expect to compete even at $230 million, which is the level that the Yankees will go to without going over the tax, which they may do, but then they'll want to reset a year later so as not to play pay penalties. So the Yankees are being forward-thinking and realizing that having all their money tied up in position players making 30-plus, not a good move. And would you rather have Judge or Correa on your team? That's simple. I'd rather have Judge. As injured as Judge can be, same with Correa. But you take Judge out of that lineup, replace him with Correa. Wow, is that a garbage can issue that the players don't want him on the team? No. It's a financial salary allocation issue. That's all it is. Very simple. So the Yankees make this trade. Both sides should be happy. By the way, it's a great trade for both teams. What about the other New York team? Please tell me you watched Steve Cohn give his interview. Steve Cohn was great. He's my guy. The content machine along with Danny Snyder and Jerry Jones. Love him. Steve Cohn was asked whether he was offended about the Steve Cohn tax. Remember last week we told you that for teams that go over CBT by $60 million, there's a fourth threshold now. There used to be only three thresholds. You go over it by 20 or 40. First you go over it at all, then by 20 or by 40. Now if you go over the tax by $60 million, you pay an even greater penalty, like 80 cents on the dollar for every dollar over 60 million over the threshold. People are calling it the Steve Cohn tax because that's exactly what it is because there were owners who were very concerned that the Mets were going to spend and spend without any sort of rain. And Rob Manford said, well, if I need to get your vote, 
I'm, I need your block of votes from these low-revenue teams more than I need Steve Cohn's vote. He's one team. If we can get the block of small markets to vote to ratify the deal, we're good with that. Of course, they announced that Steve Cohn voted for the deal. It's easy to vote for a deal when you know you're going to lose. So when Steve Cohn was asked about it, he said, I'd rather have a tax named after me than a bridge. <laughs> In New York, you've got the RFK Bridge. You've got the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. You've got the Throg's Neck. You've got the Whitestone. Whitestone. <laughs> Not Whitestoned. So the Mets, meanwhile, made a bunch of trades already, taking on money. They got Chris Bassett from the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's are doing exactly what I used to do, and I got hammered for it. Billy Bean gets love for it. I, I guess that's just because he's Billy Bean. Wait a minute, Coca. Do I have the same number of rings as Billy Bean? And I say that in all seriousness. I think Billy Bean's only won one World Series. I'm not sure if I'm right or wrong. But either way, I think that's what I have, and I think that's what Billy has. Now, no Brad Pitt's ever played me in a movie. Billy Bean's brilliant. But the A's are shedding payroll because their window has closed with the team they have, and their payroll got too large. They've got to reset. This new CBA, <clears throat> that's a premature unmute. Excuse me. That's a fine. Four eight seventy two sixty nine. in case you want to eliminate that, Matt. The Twins, the A's, the Marlins, the Guardians, the Pirates, the Reds. The Reds just traded Sonny Gray. The teams that are low-revenue teams, low-payroll teams, are not exactly looking at this new CBA and saying, oh, my God, I can spend. They're not looking at the Apple streaming deal and saying, oh, my God, I can spend. They're not looking at the NBC Peacock streaming deal and saying, hell yeah, let me spend. The A's traded Chris Bassett to the Mets. The Mets took on his $8.8 million contract. He'll be a free agent at the end of the year. They gave up two good prospects, one really good, one good. When we traded to go for it and traded for starting pitching, I got crushed after the fact because, hey, the guy we traded for ended up being only okay, and the guy we traded ended up being a little better than okay, but is now back to being just okay. Are you going to have the same criticism toward Steve Cohn? You shouldn't. Steve Cohn's trying to win now. I like it. He should be trying to win now. His payroll is only at $250 bucks. He's not even close to the Steve Cohn tax. He acknowledged that he may go over it. He wants to go higher. He wants to sign somebody more. Coca tells me now that Billy Bean won as a player in 89, but never as an executive? No. I don't think that's true. There are two Billy Beans. But don't forget that, by the way, Coca, when you're doing this research, there are two Billy Beans. One of them is the head of diversity and inclusion, or he was when I was in baseball. And then there's Billy Bean, the executive. Any case, you can check that later, folks. We'll probably revisit that tomorrow just to make sure. But who won the World Series the, when, uh, during the earthquake? That was Oakland, San Francisco. Was Billy Bean, oh, was that Sandy Alderson and not Billy Bean? I'm having a moment. I'm having a moment. Anyway, let's get back to Steve Cohn and all the great Mets fans. The Mets are going to spend more. They're going to get to $290 million. Here's my prediction. The Mets payroll at the end of this year 
will be below the Steve Cohn tax level, but above 250. So he's going to take on more money. He'll be between 250 and 290, which is the Steve Cohn tax level. So we're going to do two Mets wait to cease. Market coca. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. When it happens, we revisit it. When it doesn't happen, we revisit it. The Mets final competitive backs. Ugh. The Mets final competitive tax payroll will be greater than 250 and less than 290. And at the end of the season, the Mets will not even make it to the NLCS. They've got too many question marks in the rotation. Don't get me wrong, Bassett's a good middle of the rotation guy. Scherzer, 38 years old, maybe. DeGrom, oft injured, maybe. Two aces or no aces. Carlos Carrasco, 12 mediocre starts, eh, maybe. I'm telling you right now, the Mets rotation is not going to be what you think. Secondly, neither will their payroll. Okay. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are 28 and 22. LeBron led the Lakers to a win over the Wizards, but then their weekend ended. They got crushed by the Phoenix Suns last night. The Lakers are just, they're done. They're done. But what happened in the NBA was historic this weekend, and I want to end the show with a little note about Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich is the coach for the San Antonio Spurs who now has the most all-time wins in the history of NBA coaches. He took over that mantle from Don Nelson, who took that mantle over from Lenny Wilkins, who took that mantle over from Red Arback. Greg Popovich has been the coach of the Spurs for 26 years. I was thinking about if I had the same manager for 18 years, I think I had like a thousand managers in 18 seasons. And I was wondering what it would be like to have a relationship with a coach or manager where continuity is not just the rule of the day, it's not just what you search for, but it's what you're able to attain. I've never seen it, I've never lived it, I've never been a part of it. But that said, Greg Popovich has won five world championships, 1,336 regular season games. He's had MVPs. He's had losing seasons. But the one constant has been that he has been able to adjust to players of multiple generations. He's been able to keep a relationship with the front office and the clubhouse. And he's been able to do it for 26 years. Congratulations to Greg Popovich. This year, his team is not good. The Minnesota Timberwolves are actually giving five and a half points to San Antonio in San Antonio. My pick of the day is the T-Wolves because of the seven-letter word letdown. The Spurs players really wanted to get Popovich the victory, get him the all-time victory. There's going to be a bit of a letdown. Minnesota five and a half over the Spurs. So as I leave today, I again say to you, Greg Popovich, you are unique. You are the GOAT coach in the National Basketball Association, the most wins, and you've been able to do it in a sport that values business, that values winning over loyalty, that values change over continuity, 
and you overcame all of it, you might as well keep going. It's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.